Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. You can open your Bibles with me to Psalm 78, verse 41, and we'll start here tonight. You can follow along on my notes. You can find them. Open our Faith Plus app. It's the third link on the first page. Greetings to everybody watching us online. If you're watching via Facebook Live, go ahead and start a watch party and share so others can watch along with you. Greetings to everybody watching us on Faith Plus. We're so glad that you're watching with us in our faith experience today. I want to remind you guys that this Friday, we have Friday night prayer from 8 p.m. to 10 we're focusing our prayers on our Miracle Sunday that we have coming up this Sunday, but also praying for our faith family as well as for our troops, especially the ones heading overseas. Amen? So we'll take some time in prayer this Friday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then this Sunday, as I said, is Miracle Sunday. And so we're believing God for a great explosion of miracles and healings. We'll be laying hands on the sick as well as ministering God's power and desire to heal. So we're believing for a great operation of the working of miracles, the gifts of healing, the gift of special faith. And we want to have the testimony of what it says in the Gospels, and Jesus healed them all. Amen? So we're looking forward to Sunday. So if you know someone battling any type of sickness, disease, illness, or whatever, make sure you bring them out and encourage them to come. And if for some reason, for a distance or condition, they can't make it out, you know, bring a handkerchief or stuffed animal for the child, and we'll lay hands on according to Acts 19, and we believe the power of God will work wherever they are. Amen? So we're starting a series tonight called The Enemies of Restoration. The Enemies of Restoration. We know what the Lord has told us, that this is our year of transformation and restoration. God wants you to experience restoration more than even you want to experience restoration. That's God's desire for your life. That's God's will for your life, so much so that he has told us in many different ways concerning what he wants to do in our life this year. But just because God wants it to happen doesn't mean it's actually going to happen for you. The will of God is not always automatic. And some people say, well, God's all-powerful. He's almighty. You know, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants me to have restoration, it's just going to happen. And you put everything back in God's court. But that's not completely biblical. There are things you can do to block the will of God from happening in your life. You know, the Bible says it's God's will that all men be saved. Will everybody be saved? No. People will block salvation. Now, the people I'm talking to here today, I know all of you, y'all saved. Y'all love Jesus. You're going to heaven. Most of you are filled with the Holy Ghost with a mighty burning fire. Might even be sanctified. But it doesn't mean you'll experience restoration. You can block it. To give you some scriptures about people blocking what God wanted to do, Psalm 78, verse 41, it says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How can you limit the limitless God? This group of people found a way to do it. They limited the power of God. They limited the move of God. They limited what God wanted to do. Go to Mark chapter 6, verse 5. You can stop restoration. We heard a wonderful message from our bishop on New Year's about restoration. We talked a little bit more about restoration this past Sunday. But you can stop restoration from coming into your life. We'll look at Mark verse 6, verse 5, and we'll double back to Mark in a little bit. And it's talking about Jesus. 
and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Notice it doesn't say he would not, it said he could not. Matthew 13, 58, telling about the same story, says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So because these people didn't believe, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, was not able to do miracles. Now, it gives us even more information. This Mark 6, verse 5, it says, he could not do any mighty works. So that talks about the quality of the miracle. And then save only, he laid his hands upon a few sick folk. So they limited the quality and the quantity. So what is a biblical few? You know, it says in Peter's writings that only a few people were saved by the flood. That's eight. We know we use few talking about a three. So somewhere only with Jesus. You might think if Jesus came to town and preached, he could do like thousands of miracles. When Jesus got to this synagogue in this city, he could only do three to eight miracles. And they weren't great outstanding miracles as he laid hands on a few sick folk. And the word sick there indicates not a serious illness. It was a lightweight illness. He could handle about three to eight colds. Wow. Jesus, in his itinerant ministry, came to the city and he could only handle these light illnesses. These people blocked the mighty move of God. They limited the God of Israel to only be able to deal with a few colds. You can stop restoration from coming to your life this year. So that's why we're doing a series called The Enemies of Restoration. Because sometimes, see, the enemy is not always obvious. See, the slickest enemy is the one that looks normal, that looks a part of your everyday life. And there's some things we do that's part of our everyday life that we don't realize that will block restoration in our lives this year. So let's look at the first enemy. Let's go back to Joel 2, the passage we looked at on Sunday and the passage Bishop talked about on New Year's. Let's find our first enemy. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day the Lord comes, for it is nigh at hand. Verse 12. Therefore also now says the Lord, Turn, say turn. Ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn, say turn, unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repents him of the evil. So turn speaks of a change of direction. Turn speaks of a change of direction. So God is calling them to change. Another word for turn here is repent. And repent is simply defined to change your mind and go the other direction or change your mind and change your direction. And we know verse 25, what we always get excited about, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer, my great army which has sent among you. We know it came because they disobeyed God and they got the other half of Deuteronomy 28. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. 
So if they did not change, they would have not been restored. Even though we see clearly the will of God here, God wants to restore them and God wants to give them so much more. But if they did not change, they would not be restored. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and look at another instance of this. This is what Moses told them in the very beginning, one of Moses' last sermons before he died. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. You shall return, say return, unto the Lord your God and shall obey his voice according to all that I command you this day, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will turn, say turn, your captivity and have compassion on you and will return and gather you from all the nations where your Lord your God has scattered you. So one of the things, you know, Moses is talking about says, you know, when you follow God, you can be blessed. But when you leave, the curse is going to operate, and eventually the curse is going to cause you to be driven out from where you live. And now when you get out there, one day you're going to come to yourselves and say, you know what? We should have not left God. And then you're going to turn back to God. So what are they to do? They're going to change what they've been doing. They're going to change how they've been thinking. And when they change, God was going to be able to turn their situation around or bring restoration to them. Change had to precede their restoration. So enemy number one to restoration, refusing to change. Enemy number one of restoration, refusing to change. A lot of people in restoration, but if they don't repent from what caused them to be broken up in the first place, if they were restored, they'll just lose it again. So if they don't change their behavior, they're not going to receive what they say they want. The first enemy of restoration we're going to look at is refusing to change. Now, when we talk about repenting, we talk about, okay, you sinned, you missed a mark, you blew it. So now you're repenting and say, that is wrong. I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to change how I think about that, and I'm going to turn and go the other direction. So that's very simple. Bishop talked about it in length on New Year's, and we just talked about it here. But that's because changing because I did something bad in the past. What about if I need to change because I did something good in the past? Go to 1 Kings 17. Change is not always because you did something wrong. Yes, change if you did something wrong, but that's not the only time you need to change. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and the flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. So even one commentary says that they believe the ravens came and took King Ahab's meal and took it to the man of God. So he is having a wilderness experience. Some of you like camping. 
You know, some of you may be like Minister Curry. You're like, yes, this sounds awesome. God has supernaturally provided. I'm enjoying nature. I'm hidden away from those who are trying to find me. And I'm just chilling, enjoying. And every morning, I don't even have to cook it. I don't have to shop for it. I don't have to prepare. Uber Eats in the ancient times is delivering my food in the morning and food in the evening. And I'm drinking on the brook. I'm sure Elijah's probably enjoying himself. He's enjoying the supernatural provision from God every single day. But notice what happens next. And it came to pass after a while. So it wasn't a few days, it wasn't a few weeks. It was a long period of time. That the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And so, you know, that's a slow process. Brooks do not dry up overnight. So, you know, maybe after a few months, Elijah noticed, well, that brook is... Not what it used to be. You know, when I first got here, man, there was a lot of water, and now it's a trickle. You know, he's watching the brook dry. Wouldn't you watch the brook change? Some of you wouldn't just, well, I'm going to ignore the brook. No, some of you would be like, well, it looks like I got, hmm, maybe five days. Let's see. Let's go up the brook a little bit here, and let's see. Is there something blocking the water? Eventually, you would notice that it's drying up. And so on the day it has dried up completely, God tells Elijah to change. Now, did Elijah do anything wrong? No. Elijah is in the perfect will of God. Elijah's right in the smack dab center of the will of God. He is being completely obedient to God, and God tells him to change. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain you. So what would have happened? Some people, even faith people, was like, well, the brook worked before, so the brook will work again. I command water to flow down this brook. I have all these scriptures right here. And you quote scriptures to the brook. You stand well, my God made the seas and he made the rivers and he caused rain and he can, do, he can bring up dew. And so I command the brook to flow again. You do all your faith confessions. You read all the scriptures to build your faith and you command the brook to flow, but that brook ain't going to flow because it's time to change. And it's not because what you did in the past wasn't good. It was good for then. But today, God needs you to do something different. If Elijah was unwilling to change, he would have gone thirsty and eventually died because he was unwilling to change. And people would came up with all these different reasons. Oh, why didn't God take care of the man of God? He was just trying to obey God out there in the wilderness because all his haters are trying to kill him. He did everything that God wanted. No, he did everything God wanted to a point. Some people are unwilling to change. And it's not because they did bad things. It's because they did good things. Sometimes it's hard for people who've had success in the past to change so they can be ready for success in their future. Because they always say, but we've always done it this way. We've always been by the brook. We've always been by chair. This is great. We've built a nice little camp out here. This is great. We've always done it this way. How many companies have become like Blockbuster? Because they said, we've always done it this way. 
How many things don't exist today because they refuse to change with the times? How many industries are done with and there are people who are only trained in that industry when they say, well, of course this industry is going to come back? And it hasn't come back because they refused to change. Not because there was something bad in the past, it was they weren't just willing to change to move forward to the future. Our refusal to change when God tells you to change will block restoration. Sometimes change will bring restoration. That if you just adjust what God has told you to adjust, the restoration will come. We know Elijah changed his location and there was provision for him when he went where God told him to go. You know, we look at another story under the ministry of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 8. This is a woman of God. We know her story, that God has supernaturally done things in her life. Well, let's go 2 Kings chapter 8 and look at it for a little bit. Great woman of faith who had received the ministry from Elisha. Second Kings. And first chapter eight, verse one, then spake Elisha unto the woman, whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your house, and sojourn wheresoever you can sojourn, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it shall come upon the land seven years. Now you might say, Well, this woman must not be a woman of faith. Why would she leave her house? But when you look at this woman's story, she's a woman of great faith. She's a woman of great obedience. She's a woman of great generosity. The Bible calls her a great woman. Do you know how, what you gotta qualify for the Bible call you a great woman or a great man? The Bible calls her a great woman. In her old age, her and her husband have a child. We know what happens to the child, and the child dies. Elisha and Gehazi aren't there. But they, everyone asks the woman and says, hey, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. All is well, or it is well. That's what she said. That's what she held on to. And the miracle happened. Her son came back to life. That's what she held on to. This is, this is a woman of great faith. Yet, in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, Elisha says, look, you and your family and everybody in your house need to leave. A famine is coming, and it's going to last this length of time. Now, some people say, well, I don't want to leave my house. I like it here. I might like my neighbors. I like my surroundings. I like all of my daily creature comforts. You know what? I'm not going to change. I'm just going to stay here and use my faith. Well, there may be a famine outside, but you know, a thousand falls at my side and 10,000 on my right hand, but it won't come near me. I'm fine right here staying the same. And you go through all your scriptures, everything you know, because you know enough scriptures just to be dangerous enough to yourself. And you quote all these things. But how many know her family would have suffered if she didn't change and so she changed she left 
and went to another place we know she was provided for. She stayed there to many years. But when she came back, she was like, well, while she was gone, the government had taken over her property. So her property was still producing, as we find out in a few moments. But apparently it wasn't going to produce enough to reach the provision God wanted her to have. And so when she came back, Gehazi just happened to be talking to the king and telling about all the great things Elisha done just happened to be there. Sounds like a divine setup. And telling the story, says, yeah, you know, there was one day, there was this woman's child. You know, she, the, the boy died, but, you know, Elisha raised back to this, telling the story. And then this woman comes back. She walks in the room to ask for her property to be restored unto her. And Gehazi said, you know what? That's the woman. And hey, he's taller now, but that's the son. And the king's like, yeah, tell me the story. And he says, now give back to her all her property and everything her land produced while she was gone. So look, if this woman did not change, she could have survived possibly in the land, but would have to live at a lower standard of living. But because she changed, she was provided for, and when she came back, she also got restoration. So she ended up with more by obeying God's command to change. What are you missing out on because you don't change? Refusing to change can block restoration. You have to look at your life as an individual. You have to look at your family. You have to look at your business, whatever you do. Are there some areas in my life I refuse to change? Not, change, not because, because God told me not to change them, but areas that God has told me to change that I refuse to back on, or some areas that I haven't asked God about because I'm too nervous to change them. A refusal to change things that you must change can block restoration from coming to your life. Let's go to Mark chapter 6 again. So enemy, enemy number one, refusing to change. You can't always do what you've always done. Mark chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1 this time. And he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From where has this man these things, and what wisdom is this given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and not his sisters with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor but his own country, and is among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, so that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the village's teaching. So enemy number two, we're going to look at his unbelief. Unbelief. Do you know what got Abraham in the biggest trouble with God? Unbelief. They refused to believe that God could do what he said and bring Isaac, so they made Ishmael. The biggest issue, because remember, the law wasn't there yet. With Abraham, it was on condition of belief. It's because he believed God, he was counted righteous. It's all about, Abraham, what will you believe? 
and Abraham being the father of our faith, it points to what will you believe? So some of you believe enough just to go to heaven, but not enough to have restoration. Yeah, but I believe in the sweet by and by. I'm not talking about the sweet by and by. I'm talking about 2020. What do you believe about this year? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. We'll look at that in a moment. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another while it's called today, lest any of you been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are all made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sin, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest? But to them that what? So we see that they could not enter in because of their what? You got to think. The children of Israel of that generation did a lot of crazy and stupid things. A lot. It's a list. This one was just the last one. There was nine other things beforehand that ticked God off. But none of those things kept them from going into the promised land. God kept moving them closer and closer. And when you read it, you might think, oh, this is a few weeks. No, this is about a two-year process. When you read through the end of the book of Exodus, and you go through Leviticus, and you go through Numbers, it might take you five years to read it, but it's really just like a two-year process. It's two years since they left Egypt. And they could not go in because they didn't believe. So it says, let us therefore fear or reverence, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached, the powerful word of God, the life-changing word of God, did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So another way of saying they did not believe it. Although God said it, although God did miracles, signs, and wonders, although God did great acts of power and preached the good news to them, preached the blessing to them, they refused to believe it. And because they refused to believe, they did not enter the promised land. See, we treat unbelief like it's some small sin, but it is a great big issue. Think about it. The only reason people go to hell is because they refuse to believe in Jesus. Unbelief is a big issue. It can block you from receiving restoration. Whatever God says, you must mix it with faith. So let's look at this in Numbers 13. Let's look at what the people said and what they did for the writer of Hebrews to say evil heart of unbelief. Numbers 13, verse 28. Do you believe God's word of restoration? 
Because it's nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in that land. Yeah, God said this is our land, but we got some challenges. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites by the sea. They're just listing their problems, listing the issues, listing why God can't do what he said he could do. And by the coast of Jordan, Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Do you know if they listened to Caleb, they could have taken the land that night? Oh, you can't fight at night. Yes, you can. Abraham did it under the blessing of God. They could have taken the land that night. They could have entered their inheritance that night. They're on the edge of the promised land. If everybody responded by faith, God would have told them, go, go, go get what's yours. But notice what they said. But the men that went up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land. What's the evil report? Unbelief. Which they had searched in the land of the children, saying, The land through which we have gone to search is the land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it were men of great stature, for there are men. There we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight. They listed all the reasons. Why? They could not have what God said they can have. Have you listed some reasons already why you can't receive restoration? You go on in Numbers 14, verse 1, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, but would God we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be prey? Why did God even bring me in 2020 when he knows I was going to face this? He said it was restoration. Bishop hooped and hollered about restoration. But now it's already in January, and I have not been restored yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was it not better for us to return to Egypt? They said one another, let us make us another pastor and return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the symbol of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defenses depart from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them some kill the faith people. Shut them up. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? That word provoke means hate. How long will these people that I brought out of Egypt hate me? And how long will it be until they believe me? For all the signs which I've showed among them. I've done all these things. I've preached the word to them. I've done sign after sign. I dealt with Egypt. I feed them every day with Krispy Kreme donuts from heaven. I feed them with fried chicken and Chick-fil-A flying in, landing in front of them. They don't even have to go and kill it somewhere. It's just landing at their feet. I gave them water from a rock. 
I've done all these things. How long will it be until they believe me? And so we know what happens. God says, fine. You can have it your way. I will be the Burger King God for you. You can have it your way. You can have what you say. You said you're going to die in the wilderness. Have at it. You will die in the wilderness. You said your carcass will fall in the wilderness. Have at it. Your carcass, your behind is going to drop right there. And you're going to walk around for 40 years in a circle. Y'all just going to keep walking until you die. And your kids, I'll bring them in, but you're not going in. You're going to see it, but you won't experience it. You can see the promised land. You can see the breakthrough. You can see the restoration. You can see the miracle, but you will not taste it because you did not believe. And so all the people mourn greatly and weep that night. And then they kind of get themselves together, and a group of them says, you know what? We messed up. You skip down to verse 39. And verse 40, it says, And they rose up early in the morning, got them up to the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, we will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And Moses, wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? It shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Malachites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you will fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. And the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt on that hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. So they said, okay, well, let's, let's do it anyways. Let's go for what God has for us. But because they didn't believe, they couldn't get it. And the window had closed. See, refusing to believe God in the time that God told you to believe and the time God told you to act when the door is open is important. You can't say, well, I'll believe God later. I'll get myself ready to believe for restoration later. I'll get myself ready to believe, you know, later, you know, one of these days I'll have time. I'll set my faith and I'll change what I need to change. I'll believe God later. And you try to do it and the door's closed. When God has told you that now is the time, that this is what he wants to do, that this is a time of open doors, that this is a time of dreams coming to pass, this is a time of visions being fulfilled, this is a time of transformation, and this is a time of restoration. He says, right now, this time, but you refuse to believe in this time, and then you try to do what he told you to do now sometime later, and it doesn't work. He said, oh, this faith time doesn't, faith stuff doesn't work. No, it does. You just miss your window, and you have to wait till it opens again. See, even rockets we launch by NASA and other things, they have windows when they can launch. And if they miss it, they have to wait. If God is telling you to do it now, then you need to do it now. Refusing to believe is an enemy to restoration. Let's go to Luke chapter 17 and look at the last enemy before we close. Luke 17, refusing to change, refusing to believe can block you from experiencing restoration in your life this year. You must make a decision to believe God. You must make a decision to change what you need to change. 
You say, well, how do I believe? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do I change one day at a time? And be consistent with it. If you're going to believe God for restoration, like we said, break this down. What does that mean to you? And you begin to write it and look at it and believe for it in specifics. Not just restoration in general. What type of restoration are you believing for? We gave you those eight definitions. We began to break it down a little bit on Sunday. And we'll give you some more this coming Sunday where healing is concerned. And we'll keep working through that process. But you must use your faith. It's not enough for me to use my faith. You must use your faith if you want to experience it in your life. It's only so far my faith can go for you. But you must use your faith if you expect to go all the way. Luke 17, verse 11. And it came to pass as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass as they went. So look, number one, they're obedient. Right? There's no argument. There's no debate. They came to Jesus wanting to be healed. Calling on his mercy and his compassion, his love. They wanted to be healed. So Jesus tells them something that to other people makes no sense. You only show yourself to the priest if you're already healed. You don't go to the priest if you ain't healed. The law told them after you've been healed, go show yourself to the priest. So Jesus already told them, go act like it's already so. Go act on it like it's already done. That's what Jesus told them. Act like it's already done. So he says, go act on it. Go show yourselves to the priest. And they immediately obey. They immediately respond in faith. That's pretty good. That's better than a lot of people do. They didn't question. They did it. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. What they wanted to happen as they were walking, they are cleansed. They are healed. They are no longer lepers. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? There were ten of y'all. I know I didn't miscount. Ten of y'all came up and asked to be healed, fell and grabbed onto my love. And all y'all, I know y'all were healed. And only one comes back and says, thank you. And it points out in the gospel, he was a Samaritan. Why? Because Samaritans, yes, a lot of Jews didn't like them, and Samaritans didn't like the Jews. You know, they considered Samaritans to be half-breeds, but they also had mixed religious beliefs. They didn't even have the full understanding of the scriptures. But this Samaritan knew enough to tell God, thank you. He may have had messed up doctrine and everything else, but he knew how to tell God, thank you. He knew to obey God immediately, and he knew to turn around and say, thank you. Where are the nine? They're not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger, save this person who's not even part of the covenant. And he said unto him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. We talked about it on Sunday. You're not whole unless you've been restored. 
So the nine were healed, but one received restoration. The nine were healed, but one was made whole. So what is this proclamation of faith for Jesus doing? It doesn't matter what that Samaritan leper lost in his life because of his leprosy or whatever else came before. Because he said, thank you, he will be whole. Jesus said, you will be restored because you said, thank you. You will be made whole because you turned around to praise God. So enemy number three, lack of gratitude. Enemy number three, lack of gratitude. How much have you told God thank you? And for what? Do you thank God for the things that you are so used to? You thank God that you can breathe. Well, you may not like all the food you eat, but thank God that you can taste it. Oh, it's cold. Well, thank God you can feel it. And thank God you can turn up your heat. You see, my family's crazy. Thank God you got one. And thank God there's time for them to turn around. Do you have an attitude of gratitude problem? Is your lack of thankfulness keeping you from receiving what God has for you? You may say, well, I haven't seen it all manifest yet, but what has already manifested? Thank God for that. Well, I'm not where I want to be. Well, thank God you're not what you used to be. And you're not where you used to be. We need to be a grateful people, not a whiny people, a complaining people, a murmuring people. One of the things you see about the Israelites, not only would they sin, but they would murmur and complain. Murmur and complain, but the word about murmur wasn't just they would talk amongst themselves. They would whine and complain and stop. God says, go this way. So they start whining and complaining, and they stopped moving forward. You keep whining and complaining, you're going to stop your faith and your progress with God. Well, my restoration is not happening as quickly as I want. You see, this is going on, and this is going on, and this is going on. You saw the news today, and this is going on, and the president tweeted that, and this is going on, and Nancy Pelosi said this, and this is going on, and that's going on, and na 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 But what have you thanked God for? And you're whining and complaining. This is, oh, I'm just speaking my truth. Still, whining and complaining. And in all of that, what have you thanked God for? Well, Pastor, did you see the news? Yeah, we all saw it. There's nothing new, so they keep repeating it all day. So what do I do? Thank God that you're protected. Well, Pastor, what if they thank God that no matter what they do, you are protected? Well, Pastor, what if they no weapon formed against me shall prosper, so thank God I'm protected. Well, did you see? Yes. Thank God it doesn't matter where my house concerned. What do you mean? Not in my house. Thank God. Find a reason to thank God. Find a reason to glorify God. Find a reason to praise God, because lack 
of gratitude will keep you from receiving the restoration God has for you. You guys operate the same way. If you wanted to be a blessing to somebody and you had all these plans to bless them and you gave them something like, eh. Some of it tests of y'all's salvation. You're like, eh. I'll snatch that gift back and that weave off your head. What do you mean, eh? For some of you who are a little bit more mature, you'll be like, you know what? I'm not, you know what? God bless you, but I'm not giving them anything ever again because they will not grateful. How many things have you missed because you weren't grateful for what you received? Say, well, I got some harvest, but not all that I wanted last year. Are you grateful for the harvest that you got? You need to be grateful. You need to thank God for what he's done and what he's doing. So, well, I don't know what he's doing right now. You are still breathing. Right now, at this moment, he is preserving you. That's enough to wildly thank God. The fact that he raised Jesus from the dead, that we're declared before God not guilty, that we do not have to go to hell, is enough to make the most conservative Baptist dance like a wild Pentecostal. Thank God. Do not suffer from a lack of gratitude. Yes, we may all have our moments. Something's not going the way we wanted to go. But thank God we live to see the moment. Thank God we know God enough that it's not going to end here. And thank God for it. We know he's already working something out for our good. We have to have the right perspective when it comes to life. One of the things I was praying for me and my family and for our church today is like, God, no matter what we face in 2020, help us keep the right perspective. Because if you have the wrong perspective, you'll miss a miracle even though God is working. You know, we've been seeing this all a lot. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. We sing it again and again. You got to have that perspective. Even though I don't feel it right now, even though I don't see it right now, I know God is working something out for my good. I know God is going to cause it to change. So I'm going to thank God because I know him. I may have no other witness, no other reason why I think this is going to work out, but I know my God, so thank you. You have to be grateful because a lack of gratitude will keep you from receiving what God has for you. It's not because God doesn't want to give it to you. You just block it. God wants you to be restored this year but you must change the things you need to change. You must make a decision to believe God no matter what. And you must be thankful. You must praise God. Don't just praise him in the house of God. Yes, praise him in the house of God. But praise him every day. Amen. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.